Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Bible Time with Pastor Brian. This is, of course, your host, Pastor Brian, and you probably noticed there's no music to start this one, and I do apologize for that. I tried to find a good track for this, but I, I don't really think that there's anything that would fit with our topic that we're talking about today. So, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to keep going with our Is It in the Bible uh, series of questions, or series of topics asking that same question and this one specifically is talking about the fate of the disciples it's something that apparently a lot of people know a lot about but they don't know why that they know that they don't know where those beliefs came from they heard it from a pastor who heard it from a preacher who heard it from the radio who heard it from this one person who read it in a book one time and we're actually going to dig into um one disciple specifically and find out where where uh, his, uh, the story at least of his demise came from. And I'm going to say this, we're going to cover quite a few disciples in the course of this question, because I would love to kind of dig into some of them, because, I mean, you guys probably have heard that John was the only one that died a natural death, but all the rest of them died horrible, terrible ways. Now, it's... You might know what the other ones were. I mean, I, I can think of at least a couple off the top of my head. We're like, oh, I know exactly how that one died. And I know why they died that way. Well, how do you know that? Did you read it in the Bible? And that answer's going to be no for most of them. Because the Bible, when it comes to the original 12, the Bible only talks about two of their deaths out of the 12. Shocking? It shouldn't be. In Matthew 27, 5, you get Judas. He was, of course, one of the original 12. He betrayed Jesus, you know, the whole story, and he died at his own hand. James, who was the brother of John, son of Zebedee, one of Jesus' first ever disciples here at the start of his ministry, he was killed by a sword um, under the direction of King Herod in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. And other than those two, that's it. Out of the original 12, anyway. Now, there are other people that were martyred, of course. But just just those two are the ones the Bible mentions. So how in the world do we know so much about all of the others? Specifically the one we're talking about today with Peter. Because what do we know? You've probably, in the course of the last almost three minutes of this podcast, you've probably thought, oh, I know about Peter. He was crucified upside down in Rome and... Um, he wanted to be crucified that way because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was. And somewhere around the year 80, 64, 66, somewhere in that range. And yeah, that's probably what you think you know. But where did you learn that from specifically? And if you learned it from good, credible sources, big thumbs up there. But if you're like me, you heard it secondhand from a pastor, from somebody else doing a podcast, from... Uh, or just somebody talking about it in passing among friends. And I never actually knew where it came from until now when I was doing the study. So let's dig into it. The first one we're going to cover, or at least the first resource that we're going to cover, is a guy by the name of Hegesippus. He was writing in the mid-2nd century. He stated in his Paseo Petri et Pauli that Peter is placed in a contest with a famous magician named Simon to raise a young man from the dead. Simon Magus, which is, uh, if you remember back to our Magi 
talk a few weeks ago. Uh, magician, astronomer, things like that. Simon Magus was unable to raise him from the dead. But Peter was. The authorities sought to kill him. The guy gets very depressed. Um, and he, I mean, one way, one thing leads to another, and the guy's life is in danger. And so Peter actually saves his life, and Simon the Magician leaves. But Simon also had a really, really, really powerful friend. A best friend, to be exact. In Emperor Nero, who was in control of Rome at the time. Which is where Paul and Peter were both located. They were both um, ministering to the Christians there in Rome. And... If you look in history, about the year 80, 64, somewhere in that range, the city of Rome burned, and Nero blamed it on the Christians that lived in the city. Now, did that happen? The fire did, yes. Was it started by Christians? Most historians would say probably not. More than likely, it was actually started by Nero himself, because, you know, he did kind of build a palace on top of the burnt part of Rome that Christians supposedly burned. But anyhow... At any rate, so Nero is mad at Peter and gives the order for Peter to be executed. And one way or another, Peter ends up hearing about this order being given. He gets communication from, I guess, somebody on the inside or somebody that just heard it through the grapevine that the Roman authorities are on their way to arrest Peter. And Peter wants to leave town. He actually wants to leave Rome. Now, why would he want to do that? Is he a coward? Is he scared? Does he want to run? No, it's actually none of those things. The reason why he's wanting to leave is because he thinks that he's of no use to Jesus dead. There are so many things that he still has to do. There are so many people that he still needs to reach. And so many more things that he must suffer, or he, he at least feels like he must suffer, for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he thought that this was an easy way out by staying here and more than likely being killed. He thought that was an easy way out of the ministry that God had called him into. And he, he just decides to leave. He, he, in the middle of the night, gets up with a couple other people, and they're trying to sneak out of the city. Well, supposedly, and get, this is where it gets a little fuzzy, um, Peter actually has this vision or encounter of some kind with Jesus walking back into the city of Rome. And Peter asks Jesus, of course he falls on his feet, he worships him, and he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, to be crucified again. Once again, apparently, is what this is what he said. And Peter took this to mean that he needed to go back and be crucified, just as his master was, just as Jesus was. He needed to go suffer the same fate, that it was his time to go. And so Peter realizes this, he turns back around, and he goes back to be arrested. He actually gets captured not too long after he turns back around. And according to Hegesippus, Peter asked to be crucified upside down because he believed that he was unworthy to die like Christ did. Apparently his request was granted, according to Hegesippus' account, and he is executed in this way, while Paul, according to this writer, dies by the sword both of which, in the city of Rome. Now, some scholars would actually argue that this writing that's attributed to Hegesippus is actually attributed to the wrong Hegesippus, because the Hegesippus that some scholars think wrote it is the 2nd century one that we talked about at the start of this whole thing. 
So riding around the 150, 160 AD range, a little over 100 years after Jesus' ministry. But others claim that it was written in the 5th century by a guy with a similar name, or at least writing under a pen name that included Hegesippus in the pen name. So take with that one what you will. The next one, um, next person that talks about Peter's death is a guy by the name of Clement of Alexandria. And if you're familiar with the early church fathers and early history of the church, you're going to recognize the next four people, including Clement, that I'm going to mention. So Clement, in his first epistle to the Corinthians, and if that sounds weird, it's because in the first, second, and third centuries, you had a lot of early church fathers and leaders and influential people that were writing letters to churches. And some of those churches were considering those things to be important. Maybe not on the same level as like Paul's letter to Corinth or Peter's epistle, but very, very important um, indeed. And so Clement of Alexandria, he's writing this epistle to the church of Corinth. And it was written somewhere in the 90s AD, which when you think about that, it's only about 60 years after Jesus was around. Um, only about 30-ish years after Paul's death, and written right around the same time that the book of Revelation was. So, either way. So that's kind of putting you in context of where this guy is writing, like what time frame he's writing in. He says that Peter, among others, struggled for the faith even to death, and that he went to the place of glory that he deserved. Paul is also mentioned as having died with Peter um, in this account as well. And the oldest copy, the oldest surviving copy, get this, of the first epistle to the Corinthians. Clement of Alexandria, he's writing this in Greek. Let me preface with that really quick. He's writing this in Greek, but he's writing to a world that also speaks Latin. They actually found on a 10th century text from Italy, they found that the paper had been recycled. Which, we think of that as kind of being crazy, I guess. Imagine 200 years after the signing of the Declaration, somebody finds it on a textbook or something like that, where somebody took the paper that was written to write the Declaration of Independence and made a grammar book out of it. They just cleaned the ink off and then reused the paper. That was very common back in the ancient world. If you didn't have any paper lying around, you just used whatever you had, even if it had writing on it. You just... You just got the ink off of it, and you wrote over it. But we have the technology now to where we can actually see those layers of imprints and ink still in the paper, even if it's not as vi vibrant and bright as it used to be. And they found, on this 10th century document, a Latin translation of the first epistle to the Corinthians, or at least a portion of it, that came from the 2nd century. So less than, or at least within a century of Clement of Alexandria writing the first epistle to the Corinthians, you have a copy of it right there. And I just think that's really cool. I'm, I'm a nerd with stuff like that, but sorry for the nerd moment. Um, the next guy is Tertullian. In 195 AD, he claimed that Peter had died in Rome in what he quotes, a passion like that of the Lord. 
you hear all the time about the passion of the Christ, and that's the whole process of him being crucified. That's him going through the scourging, going through the pain, getting nailed to the cross, getting nailed to a cross specifically. Um, so that's what a crucifixion is. Um, and so a lot of people take that to mean that Tertullian was trying to, you know, push towards the idea, push your brain towards the idea that Peter died the same way that Jesus did. And that Paul, according to him, was crowned with the death of John the Baptist. And if you know anything about the Gospels, you know how John the Baptist died. He was beheaded um, by King Herod. So Paul was also beheaded. And I'm actually not going to do one on Paul. Um, I might actually, now that I think about it, I might do it later on if I find enough info. But I will give you this. I have long believed from the studies that I've done and the people that I've talked to that know way more about it than I do, that Paul was afforded a death that very, very few people um, that were Christians were given. Most of them were brutally murdered, thrown into the Colosseum to fight the lions or given a sword and forced to fight um, as a gladiator. Or they were burned alive or beaten to death or stabbed or crushed or anything like that, crucified like Peter was. Paul was beheaded because he was a Roman citizen. Roman citizens were afforded that right. As long as they hadn't committed something horribly atrocious that required a more sinister punishment, they were given the ability to be beheaded. And so that's what Paul was given. Um... The oldest copy of Tertullian's writings actually comes from the 9th century. And I know what you're saying if you're a skeptic, like, oh, well then why are we claiming that he was writing it in 195 AD? I'll tell you why. He is quoted in another work later on, um, in the 5th century AD, and the excerpt that is found from his original writing, the language structure, the word usage all points to it being written in the 2nd century, or at least right on the brink of the 3rd century AD. So, just, just a couple hundred years later, something like that. That would be like somebody in our time writing about something that happened in the 1820s. I mean, we, we, we know for a good, pretty good uh, understanding, I guess, pretty good concept of what was going on in America in the 1820s. Now, granted, we have more documentation, things like that. But they were also more... Um, how would you put it? They were more careful about remembering things and thinking about like family histories, family trees, uh, because that was important in Jewish culture, who you were related to, who you were descended from. Those things mattered. And so you wanted to pass on those stories. A lot of people couldn't name their great-great-grandparents. Some, some of you that listen to this might not even be able to name your great-grandparents. Um, I'm lucky enough to have lived... Um, in a family that cared at least a little bit enough about their family tree to where they told me about them and told me stories about their grandparents and their uncles and aunts and cousins and things like that. And in ancient Israel, that was really common. That was very super common. And so because of this, they had this tradition of remembering things, of wanting to remember things. And when you have that tradition... Um, you see them put that to paper. You see them talk about it. You see them sharing about it centuries after it happened. 
And so you can still trust it, even though it's still 200 years or so after it was actually spoken at first. It's just we don't have any surviving copies of the originals. Because, I mean, it's, it's paper. It's very hard to find an original copy of something that was written 2,000 years ago. Think about how degraded and how faded a piece of paper gets by just leaving it out in the sun for too long. Or by sticking it in a book in your bookshelf and you go back to it 20 years later. And you can still make out what's on there, but you can tell that it's worn and faded. Times that by a hundred. So 2,000 years. And you come back and you look at it. And you tell me if it's legible or not. And then, like I said a second ago, some of them, some of them might have taken that and used it to write other things. And we're still discovering those. Where we take these documents that some of them matter, some of them don't really matter. But then we scan them we're like, ooh, there's something even older than that that's on this. And we dig into it and we're like, oh, this is really cool. This is the oldest surviving copy we have of X, Y, and Z. But it's because people didn't really care about, you know, copying things over. As long as you had a copy of the original, you were good to go. But we could get into a lot of topics about that. A lot of topics about, um, is the Bible trustworthy? And I would recommend um, Mike Winger. I know I've talked about him a couple times on here. is a whole series where he talks about the trustworthiness of Scripture. And it is very well done, very well put together, very well defended. So I would highly recommend you go listen to him. His name is Mike Winger, like chicken wings, but wing-er, E-R at the end. So either way. The next guy is Ignatius, and he is writing something called the Epistle to the Romans in the early 2nd century. So he is writing about 60-ish years after Jesus, 50 or 60 or somewhere in that range. He mentions Peter and Paul dying together in Rome, and his unworthiness, as in Ignatius' unworthiness, to be respected as they were. So, he's, like I said, he's writing to the church at Rome, and he says this, but, oh, I don't deserve the same respect and the same honor that you guys gave to Peter and Paul. Well, a lot of people have taken that to assume that he is looking to Peter as being the leader of the church in Rome. Because Paul was not the leader of any church. He was the missionary. He was um, the preacher to the Gentiles that was carrying the gospel throughout the world. And Peter, on the other hand, is in Rome as well at the same time. And so some people take from Ignatius' writings that Peter was the overseer or the bishop over Rome, which gives a foundation to the Catholic belief that the Pope, um, as in Pope Francis that's currently sitting as the Pope, is the direct um, representative, just like Peter was. Like he is in that direct line from Peter himself as the leader and overseer of the church at Rome. Now, when it comes to Ignatius' epistle, the Romans, oldest copy we have is from the 10th century. And it is a, I think it's a Latin translation of Ignatius' writings, but he actually is referenced in the 4th century AD. So, way, way back. Six, or, yeah, 600 years before the oldest copy, we have a copy of something else that's talking about Ignatius. So, and talking about his writings and his epistle to the Romans and quoting it. So, we know that it existed with pretty much like 100% surety there. Eusebius is another guy that was writing about Paul, or, well, yeah, Paul and Peter's death, specifically Peter's for this discussion today. He was writing in the 4th century, so about 
250 years or so after Jesus. And he actually writes this huge anthology of, or really encyclopedia, I think is what he called it, of church history, of for, like from when Jesus ascended and gave the disciples the Great Commission until his lifetime. Like what all had happened, who all had died, where the gospel had been carried to, so on and so forth. Eusebius is also looked at as being somebody that's very close to the Emperor Constantine, who was considered to be the first ever Roman emperor to have converted to Christianity. He unbanned or decriminalized Christianity in the Roman Empire, and a lot of people look at that as like a watershed moment for the church, like where they had been persecuted for so long, they had been the outcasts of society, and now they were the mainstream for the first time, it seemed. And so Eusebius is somebody that is attributed to that. And he's also writing about Peter's death, and he pretty much just regurgitates the same information from Tertullian, Clement, and Ignatius because he's quoting them in what he's writing. A couple of ones where I said, you know, oh, he's referenced in the 4th and 5th centuries. That's because it was Eusebius that was the one that was referencing them. And the oldest copy we have of Eusebius's writings comes from the 5th century, about 100 years after he was writing it. So, there you go. Now, my conclusion about Peter. The crucifixion of Peter in Rome is believed almost unanimously by scholars as a historical fact. However, Hegesippus's account of it happening while upside down is definitely up for debate. Either way, I think we can say with strong confidence that Peter died by being crucified in Rome, and he was buried there in Rome. So, because there was quite a few, like quite a few people that were members of the church that more than likely were the ones that were given his body, that wanted him to have a good burial, so they buried him in Rome with them. And there's a couple interesting things attached to that, and. I'm not saying that, I'm trying to think of how to put this, um, I'm not saying that the Catholic idea of this is correct. It's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is this, Peter lived in Rome, he was executed in Rome, he was buried in Rome. Could he have been buried under the Vatican? Potentially. They did find a skeleton in a vault way, way, way down in the depths of, um, of the catacombs below the Vatican itself. And they found the body of somebody that would have been in their like, 60s, maybe 70s, that died in the first century. So, same time that Peter was alive, probably about the same age that Peter would have been, and about the same time that he would have died. Could it be Peter? Maybe. Is it Peter? We don't know. But they think that it is. They claim that it is Peter. Or at least... Peter is in that same vicinity, and that they have literally built their church upon Peter as a fulfillment of Jesus's um, quote that he gave to Peter about, upon this rock I will build my church, when he gives Peter the name, you know, Peter. And they have taken themselves as being the representatives, the continuation, the descendants of the original church. So I could get into a whole topic about that at some point if I wanted to, but not tonight. So, for tonight, the answer to the question is this. Is it in the Bible about Peter's crucifixion? 
No, it's not. Are the details about Peter's death included in the Bible? No, they are not. But we have from very trusted sources that are outside the Bible. I will give it that. But they are from trusted church fathers that have been looked to for um, information and guidance about the culture of the day, the society of the day, the events of the time, that all say that that's how Peter died. And some of them were really close timeline-wise. Like Clement was writing just, just a few years after it, maybe about 20 years or so, when he was writing about Peter's death. So it, you can trust it. I firmly believe that Peter did die, and that he did die from crucifixion. Was it upside down? Maybe. Maybe not. But does it really matter if it was upside down or not? No. Nor does it really even matter how he died or where he died. All that matters is that he was willing to do so. He was willing to lay down his life for the cause of Christ. He was willing to give up everything that he had in order to follow after Jesus. And when the time came, and he knew that his time was short, he still didn't quit. He still didn't give up. He still wanted to be a representative, a reflection, if you will, of the master that gave him so much and loved him so much. And that is the answer to tonight's question. Let us pray. God, as we come before you today, we're just so blessed and so thankful, so grateful for everything you've given us and for giving me the ability to share this podcast tonight. God, I'm just so thankful that I was able to get it out, and uh, hopefully on time. Um, I pray and I thank you in advance, God, for giving me that. And I ask that you go with each person that listens to this here tonight, that you would just use my mess of words and thoughts and ideas, and just use it for a great and mighty work in these people that are listening. And I pray, oh God, that you would just continue to help us be better soldiers for you, better reflections of you in everything that we do and in everywhere that we go. And we pray, Father, that you give us the strength to do it. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we do humbly pray. Amen. Thank you guys again, and I will see you, or hear from you, I guess, next week.